Oh, we are live. Okay. We are live. Hey, this okay. is Dave Fryer. Thanks to the magics of the internet and Ben's crackerjack work, we're back live in the in the leading Agile booth at Agile 2018. Larry Macaroni. Thanks for right? having me, Dave. I got it right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Cool. Thank and you. How many from... times have you done this with me? I know, but I just it's, that's it's, like one of those. It's things like I, once a year, though. But I'm all, constantly so. worried about mispronouncing your name. Oh, so. okay. um, all right. So we're going to talk about a couple things. So pay attention because we're going to go fast. Okay. Um, you have a talk today. I do. Called at Agile Quantified, Measuring the Impact of Agility at 345. And for the, one of the reasons we're doing this is so the folks that aren't here can get a sense of what's going on. Got can it. Can talk for a minute about what you're going to cover? And then we'll get into the other things. The other stuff that yes. I wanted to talk about, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, the talk today is, is content that I developed while I was at Rally Software. Okay. And um, it was research of crawling around in the data of 10,000 teams. Largest ever study, as right. far as I know, correlating practices with outcomes like mm -hmm. productivity, predictability, quality, responsiveness, performance kind of outcomes. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really how I'm well known in the yeah, and that was industry. the first time I met you, right when that came out. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it still got a big, like you got props this morning from Troy. That's right. Yeah. He mentioned it in the, he, he pulled out some of that research into his slide deck, yeah. and that happens all the time at these conferences. So. Okay, so you, and you're going to be talking about some of that in your session today, like the pairing, whether it works, kind of stuff like that, right? Exactly, exactly. Size. So I have about 55 different practices that I've published research on. Okay. I can't cover all 55, so I cherry pick. It's kind of funny, because I, I have my deck up, and I sort of like, I don't know, it's almost random. Which, like, I'm in the mood which, for that one. That yeah, one, exactly, one. exactly. But... Because Troy mentioned the team size one, I was like, oh, I wasn't planning on talking about that one at 345, <laughs> but I better move it into it because he said, come to Larry's talk if you want to hear more. So. Yeah. So what happened this morning was when Troy was giving the keynote, one of the things he suggested was that teams should be twice the size that they are or that we should at least experiment with it. We should not feel constrained by that agile recommendation of keeping everything seven plus or minus two. Okay. It, you know, my research shows that that range does give you a nicely balanced performance. Okay. But that slight, slightly larger than that, nine to 15, is really only a very small reduction in overall performance. And in many contexts, it's actually a better performance. Okay. Um, and if, if, you're, if your economic drivers are more quality oriented, larger teams and longer sprint lengths, by the way, tend to lead to better quality products. So if you're building medical devices or aircraft Every time controls. I talk to any data people today, you're all saying things I don't want any of my students to hear. <laughs> Longer sprints, bigger teams. But what about stuff like when I've tried to research where that came from? I found things like the rope pulling studies where it shows that every time you add another person, everyone yeah. else is less committed. Well, well, think about it this way, though. Okay. And Troy set it up nicely this morning. So it's all about cost of coordination, right? Okay. So, So the cost of coordination is exponentially proportional to the number of things you're coordinating between, right. right? And on a team, it's people that you're coordinating between. But but you also have to consider the inter-team coordination right. cost. And so, so that was Troy's primary reason for considering larger teams. And my research didn't sort of ferret that reason out as the only driver, okay. but, but I, you know, Anecdotally, I've recognized that as a big driver where larger teams. So if you can't be fully cross-functional, if you if, if you can't get rid of the dependencies it, under nine people, right. if you can't get rid of the dependencies, then 
it's a lot more expensive to coordinate across teams than it is to coordinate with just a few more people okay. on your team. And so it's really a balancing, everything's about trade-offs. There's yeah. no best practices, only good practices and context. It's all about trade-offs and be very context sensitive. And okay. Troy, Troy wasn't recommending you have larger teams. Troy was recommending, as you correctly worded it, that you consider it if it as if it experiment. makes sense See in your context. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Now the thing that you're focused on right now is not not wholly the metrics. You have a new, right. a new interest that you're, and I don't know what it is at all. So DevSecOps. DevSecOps. So I'm still trying to understand DevOps and you're adding another word in the middle. <laughs> so I'm I'm considered in this community, I'm considered an agile metrics expert. Right. You know, that people quote my stuff in their talks. Um, before that, I was considered a security, cybersecurity expert. At okay. Carnegie Mellon, I launched the Build Security Initiative. I was the, uh, the fellow, million dollar fellow grant for Los Alamos National Labs for wow. cybersecurity and a number, of other, a number of other sort of background that sort of qualified me well in that okay. space. And then before that, I was a, a startup guru. I did multiple okay. startups. I had, you know, lots of success with all of that. The, so it sounds like this is all over the map and there's no underlying theme here. But, okay. but to me, the underlying, underlying theme yeah. is essentially developer behavior. They all okay. related to developer behavior. Every one of those things that I mentioned, I've, I'm really good at figuring out how to get developers to do it differently than they were doing it before. That's okay. my superpower, that's my common thread. Now data is a great way to do that, so I yeah. always use data to a certain degree, and that's how I got sort of specialized into data in the Agile world, but my underlying theme is really more about behavior change okay. as tailored to developers. So the security world has a huge problem today. DevOps is making a really bad problem for security people much, much, much worse, because okay. Security folks at large organizations like Comcast, where I'm now yeah. full-time, security folks tend to think gate to production. I, I'm going to check this or, or run this pen test or right. run this gate to production. Secure, but, but if you have a specialist group, security specialist group doing okay. that work, and then you're shipping to production multiple times a day, like DevOps teams are. Right. So agility led to That's DevOps. Jack in my everything mind. Up. Right. Then there's no way they can keep Total up. Total bottleneck. They have to totally change their mindset, and they have to engage the development teams so that the development teams adopt a lot of these practices that used to be done after the fact, throw it over the wall. Yeah. They're now done in the process by development teams, and so the marketing term for that concept is DevSecOps. Can you can you first explain why? if I am doing the security testing, why we can't just automate the whole thing and test it like everything else? Like, because folks watching may not. Well, so testing isn't the only way to achieve agility, right? Right. You know, there were dramatic changes. As a matter of fact, I think of today's security specialists are in the same sort of career position that QA engineers were about a decade ago when the Agile movement started. Okay. Secure, DevSecOps movement is going to be bigger than the Agile movement, in my opinion. Okay. And it's going to have as much of a disruption on the, the behavior of those and the career trajectories of those people as okay. it had on the career trajectory of QA people. How so? But QA is only one practice in okay. software development. It, it's only one practice. And the same thing is true with security. It's not just about 
testing. There are other practices that lead to higher quality, that lead to lowering whip, for exa example, yeah. has a huge impact on quality. Right. Security is an attribute of quality. Okay. If you produce products, software products that are free of defects, they are generally also free of vulnerabilities. Okay. And a vulnerability is essentially a particular kind of defect. Okay. So, so um, lowering WIP has nothing to do with QA testing. It's a practice, you know, where we're going to limit the amount of WIP we have in process. Yeah. But it leads to much better quality. When the security so coaching development teams to adopt practices right. that lead to much better quality and much better security. Okay, but when we were when you started explaining this, you were talking about the team can develop and they're releasing multiple times a day. Yes. But it gets jammed up with the security testing, pen testing, yes. or whatever. Why does that get jammed? Well, the whole concept of gating to production with um, human test, human-based testing is is completely incompatible. So that's the thing; it has to be done. You can't right. just script it all and have it just run. Well, you can script, but you're going to eventually. Their job is to find the testing ways part, around that stuff. But it, testing isn't the only practice. Okay. And um, Wait, so what's I have an a, example. What's uh, let me give you an example. Threat modeling okay. is a is a practice that a lot of development teams have never even heard about, never mind are doing and doing consistently well. Okay. So threat modeling is the act of essentially taking your architecture, a block diagram of your architecture, and analyzing it from the perspective of a bad guy. Okay. How would I attack that? Developers naturally don't In the think same way that, that QA way. people look at it like, how can I break that? How can I break that, yeah. Okay. So if you make security specialist group who does, is not intimately and knowledgeable is, in your architecture. Think about this and talk about this. Exactly. It's not just we can program something. Right, right. And it fundamentally changes some of the decisions they're going to make. And it can be okay. very disruptive to the team when that change is coming externally and they're more resistant to it when it's coming externally. But when they do it themselves, okay. it's, oh, well, of course we want to do it that way because it's more secure because we made the conclusion that it's more secure ourselves, not told by somebody else externally who only half gets our architecture okay. and we only half get their security perspective. So getting the developers to do their own threat modeling is critical practice. Which is something they're all going to have to be taught. Which is something they're all going to have to be taught. And so training is switching a huge element as to, well to because exactly they're busy thinking how to build it or how, even if they're doing TDD, they got it. Most of Agile transformation and DevSecOps transformation and DevOps, tran every transformation I've ever been involved with, yeah. it's mindset shifting. And so I okay. learned the right ways to position things so that developers are more receptive to it. So for instance, okay. in the space of DevSecOps, you, you, they hear the word security and that your title has something to do with security and they run. Because security people are you know, something to be hidden from in a large organization, right. like Comcast, for instance, because they always add more work to them and they never understand their perspective and yeah. there's no trust between them. The security people think that the de developers just produce are crap lazy, that are going to get them hacked and lazy, yeah. don't want to do the right thing, and, and um, the developers think that the security people don't understand they're the like other auditors. pressures. And, exactly, they're yeah. like auditors. So I've had to essentially create a, a carve-out a new sort of um, brand for okay. security, a security group inside of Comcast okay. and, and inside of the industry. Um, so I was at RSA this year as well, and I, there was a, I was part of the uh, initial group that launched uh, DevSecOpsDays.com. So okay. I have a big blog series on there called The Trust Algorithm. 
Okay. And it's all about building trust with development teams. Between and security people. Between security okay. and development and, and the key thing so to doing that. So should we have security people on the development team? Um, yes. Okay. But... Just but not like, that they're only going to do security. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. More to develop cross-functionality. A better way of wording it is not to say you should have security people on the development team. That might be the way you accomplish what I'm about to say. Okay. The better way to say it is that develop DevSecOps and, yeah. and DevOps even is development teams taking ownership of how their product performs in production, okay. including security. And the way I usually word it is I usually say dev with the sec in brackets as okay. optional and ops. Because really, the sec is just sort of a marketing flavor. Because if you're doing DevOps right, you're doing security as part of your, your DevOps. Okay. So whenever you read about DevOps, yeah. they always have a strong mention of, of security. Rugged DevOps, all those, uh, okay. you know, the but Phoenix is, Project had a security guy. But a lot of people probably don't think of it as, I mean, most people that I get in my classes if there is any kind of security testing, it's lumped in with QA. It's lumped in with QA. Well, the other aspect of security that developers tend to associate, like if you ask a developer about security, he's going to think authentication, authorization, encryption, right? That's right. security. I got those. But the reality is, is the bad guys um, will attack any input. Yeah, anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. And so, so you have to you have to think about... Figure out where you're not looking. So I have this thing called the DevSecOps Manifesto. And, okay. and I, I probably can't memorize all URL? five bullets of it. Uh, if you Google Macaroni, my last okay. name, and DevSecOps Manifesto, you'll get it. There's okay. actually a competitive one out there that's from somebody else. But, but okay. I think if you just Google DevSecOps Manifesto, I'm either number one or number two okay. on, on the Google search. But, but the, the very first one is build security in rather than bolt it on. Okay. And then one of the other ones that's related to this is focus on building features security, securely, okay. not just security features like encryption, authorization, authentication. Oh, wow. Okay. And so this has been a key to getting developers to adopt this, is I have right. this list of five principles that resonate with them. And if you notice, that was worded just like the Agile Manifesto, yeah. or something more than something else. Doesn't mean the thing before the more than is not valuable, it just means that we're trying to focus on the thing after okay. the, the, uh, the, more, the more than. I also have this other tool that I yeah. use called the Pledge. And I, I get the security organization at Comcast so far, and I'm now speaking to a couple other large organizations about adopting this whole framework. Okay. Call it the Matrix Framework. I've got a book coming out about it. I've got a product You've coming out about it. You've been very busy. I have. The last two years I've been <laughs> outside of the Agile space. I've been in this DevSecOps space. Okay. So it's been a two-year process at this point. It hasn't been wow. overnight. Yeah. Um, but the, the pledge is the other key tool. The okay. pledge basically says, and I get the whole security group to sign off on the pledge, Okay. we trust you. We trust, trust that development developers. teams okay. want to do the right thing. We trust that you have other things you have to trade security off with, and that's okay. It's very hard to get develop security people to, to agree to this. They go like, well, I was okay at number one because it sounds like buzzword kind of yeah. kumbaya, and you know I can ignore that stuff. But the second one, you're actually causing us to make a real serious commitment here. And I'm not sure I can sign up for that. So it takes me a little bit of convincing to get yeah. these folks to sign up for that. Um, and and that all you need is good information to make smart trade-offs. So my role okay. becomes making the trade-offs be smarter, but also in changing the balance of those trade-offs by making it easier 
for you to do the right thing. So I make okay. it easier for you to learn about what the right thing is, why it's important. And make an informed choice. And, and make an inf much more informed choice. But it is still the development team's choice. I don't take that away from them. And that has okay. a couple of really powerful effects. A, it causes them to think about it a little more. When yeah. you take a policy enforcement approach, that's that's the fifth mm -hmm. bullet in the DevSecOps manifesto, by the okay. way, is, is culture change over policy enforcement. Okay. When you take a policy enforcement approach, you essentially take away the agency of the development yeah. team. So they're like, oh, you gave me a list of things I have to do. I'm going to check those off minimally and just sort of satisfy what you're asking me to do because it's not important to me, it's only important to you. Okay. But by taking this alternative approach, you get them to internalize it. You get fundamentally different decisions that way. So imagine a developer gets pulled in on Saturday because there's a security issue. Sure. Um, before DevSecOps, they weren't being pulled in on Saturdays. The security people were dealing with the right. security incident. They go into their team on Monday, plan a sprint planning session. They say, hey, you know, if we just had these, this one extra thing in the log and this one extra lever in the product that could have carved out the right. bad behavior and left the good behavior running, I could have been in and out of there on Saturday in five minutes. Okay. Let's, let's plan those two things for this sprint, please, team. Okay. Someone else on the team says, you know what? Ops and security have been asking for those two features for two years and we've been deprioritizing them. Wow. So okay. by by making them, you know, feel the pain yeah. of, of of the security responsibility and really internalizing it. They care about it they more. They care about they it. Build more. the environment they, Yeah. And okay. are much more likely to make decisions that will enable it by internalizing it, by taking ownership of it. it it's much more effective. Do you think that I'm kind of side thing here. Um, with the developers, if they're coming out of a traditional background, and now we're telling them you self-organize, you decide how much you can do, you decide yeah. how you want to solve the problem. Yeah. I know you're saying you decide how secure you want it to be. Do you think that there, there will be a point where develop, some developers will just be like, you know what, no, I don't want to do all, I don't want all this choice, I don't want all this freedom, I don't want all this agency. Just so, put me back in the cave and tell me yeah, what to do. Tell me what to do. So, yeah, it, because I have two responses to you. You're I have, asking I have, them to rise up and engage yeah, yeah. at a level they couldn't and didn't have to worry about. Before. I have two responses for you. Okay. The first one is is sort of the the kumbaya-ish one, and the second one is sort of the the the, the stick. The first okay. one is sort of the carrot, and the second one is sort of the stick. Okay. Let me get to both of those. Okay. The carrot is that, you know, I make it easy for you to know what the right thing is to do. So I have this the matrix. The matrix framework is essentially a list of practices organized into disciplines where the best bang for the buck is at the top. Okay. And the um, the practices across the row at the uh, left to right, the most important ones are on the left. Okay. So the upper left corner is the where you start. And and I basically give you a self-assessment okay. that you can look at and say, am I doing these things? And I usually facilitate them so that people understand kind of what it's saying, it. yeah. walk them through it. So it's a little bit of training of what these practices are. And I only put the things at the top if we're if it's really easy for them to do. Okay. And sometimes we have to do some work. The security organization has to do some work in order to make it really easy for them to do the right okay. thing. So before you had to jump through five hoops to do X, now all you have all, to do is one. point it at your repo. You okay. just have to log in and enter your repo destination in this one field, okay. and will and it'll run the scan for you, and it'll give you the results. That's okay. that's the sort of ease that we we sort of do that, so they can see what they're where they stand. Yeah. And then at the end of that facilitated session, I ask them pick one, maybe two or three cells that you want to try to turn green. So the, the, it's color-coded, where it's white okay. if they aren't doing it, and it's 
it's a different shades of green, you know, if they are, and the bright green is they're doing it really well. Okay. Um, and and so a lot of teams, you know, the er, the bleeding edge sort of teams, and then the early adopters. Right. That's all you need is you need to give them this framework, and you need to you take a pull approach of come to my seminar, right. and at the end of the seminar, I'll schedule a 90-minute time to sit down with your team, and we'll walk through this, and okay. we'll get you on the path of improvement. Okay. That's only the, the the adoption curve, right? It starts with uh, bleeding edge people, and then yeah. it goes to early adopters, then it goes to the late, the early majority, and then okay. the late majority is across the chasm, and then the, the laggards are the last little group. Right. To get to the late, the early majority, okay. um, you, and to the late, especially to get to the late majority, you need a different approach, okay. and you need the stick. So what I do is I start a, in the organization like Comcast right. with this grassroots pull sort of model, okay. and you get to a certain point where you can show, okay, in this part of the organization, right. we've got this adoption, this percentage of adoption of these five key practices. Okay. I want you, executive, to set a goal for your division to get to 100% on these five practices in the next quarter or whatever. Okay. So we engage the, develop, the, the executives. So it's really a three-part framework for behavior change, and I've been right. using this First my whole career. Option. First of all, you have the principles we talked about, the yeah. DevSecOps manifesto, the pledge. Then you, you focus on the team. Okay. You get, make it easy for them to know what the right thing is to do and how to do it. And you make it easy for them to do it. Right. And then the third step in the three-step framework for behavior change for developers is this executive engagement. Right. Okay. So not only we give execs visibility into the status yeah. of, their, of their team's practices, but we give them the ability to put a line on that and set a goal and a moment in time, and then that then trickles down to the mid-level manager's goals, and that okay. then trickles down to the, the team so lead's more... goals, and then that trickles down to the individual's goals, and you get the, the late adopters and the, and the, and the laggards that okay. way, the late wow. majority and the laggards that way. So how long have you been working on putting this stuff together? Well, it's hard to say because when I was at Carnegie Mellon, I was actually funded mostly by NSA and DHS. Okay. Um, so you could go back so you've been almost on it 20 years okay. for that work. So I, that established me with a background and credibility in the security space, software security okay. space. But then I left that world when I right. went to work for Rally. Right. And um, you know, I, I still did some consulting work in that space. I was still okay. on an IARPA advisory board for many years, and okay. and the, the fellowship with the with yeah. with Los Alamos National Labs went on into my rally days. Okay. Um, but but uh, I left that world for the most part. It wasn't until two years ago that um, someone so who I used to, to work at, with at Carnegie okay. Mellon became the chief information security officer at Comcast. Okay. And she basically said to me, Nuper Davis, she basically said, Larry, I, I want you to help. join my team here at Comcast. That's cool. The stuff we were doing a decade or so ago at Carnegie Mellon, it's the same sort of stuff I want to see happen here. Wow. DevOps is a new opportunity for that. Let's go ahead and do it. And so now you're able to bring the two worlds together. So you're able to bring the That's two worlds cool. together. very cool. It is really cool. Awesome. I really appreciate you coming by. Well, um, thank you for having me. So if they want to learn about DevSecOps, where should they go? Um, so right now, most of my publications are on DevSecOpsDays.com. Okay. There, I have launched a, a website for Matrix. Um, the product is not even out in alpha form yet. Okay. The book is not published yet. 
Do you have an um, ETA for either one? Yeah, RSA of next year. So okay. I sort of started on it at RSA this year, and my goal is to have both of those launched by R. Which what is, is RSA? You should tell me first. RSA is sort of one of the two big security conferences okay. uh, in the secure space. So we get three thousand so people to come here. They get twenty thousand people to oh come God. to RSA. Literally, wow. I'm not kidding. It's huge. It takes over all of downtown uh, San Francisco, essentially. Wow. So when does it happen? Um, June. Okay. So so late next spring. Late next spring. Yeah. Okay. Cool. June, July. And if, maybe and if July. They want to track you. They can follow you on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Which is L Macaroni. Correct. Right? I'm still worried about Santa Monica. Um, or they can look you up on LinkedIn, and I did not save that URL, but we have it in the show notes, so you can see it there. Great. Um, thanks for coming by. It was Thanks great for catching having me. Up. It's good, good to see you. Yeah, yeah you too. Yeah. Uh, keep watching. We're going to be doing interviews all week long. Thanks.